sex. got the snackable meanings behind your favorite songs. I'm your host, Lindsay Tucker, journalist and writer, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, the wonderful Aviv Rubenstein. Wonderful is a stretch. So I have a, <laughs> I have a question, Lindsay. What, uh-huh. what do we mean when we say snackable? Um, like you are hungry for it. <laughs> ah, so yeah, we're feeding your insatiable thirst and our hunger, right? We're doing hunger. We're feeding mm-hmm. your insatiable hunger for knowledge about your favorite songs. And, and it's delicious. And it's delicious. But yeah. not always appetizing. Not always appetizing. No, no, no. Our last couple episodes have been the opposite of that. Pretty, uh, pretty rough. I'd say. How are you? How are you this week, Lindsay? I'm doing well. I um, had my last shift at the restaurant. So uh, listeners may not know, I've been working interim at a restaurant between gigs. I left Yoga Journal and I'm starting a new job at Round Glass and um, I needed money. So I picked up a job working at um, a taco and tequila bar. And I had my last shift at the restaurant yesterday because I'm going to New Orleans today for a little vacation. Hey, Hey, and yeah, I start my new job when I get back. You should definitely go on an alligator boat tour when you're in New Orleans because it's amazing. Send me all of the recommendations via text, please. I will. Okay. So, okay. This week, what are we talking about? This week, we're doing part two of Hallelujah, and we're going to focus on um, how it's been used in media, mostly. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about the lost verses, of Ooh. which there are many. So, 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 I know very little about. I, you know, I always know very little about what we're talking about until we talk about it. But I do know that we have found the number, the number how many of, there are of how many there are, because we were talking about fifteen or more were. question mark, and now we have the official number. We do. Very excited! Yay! But before, but before we get into we get it, into that, but before we get into it, you say it now. You say it again. But before we get into that, but before we get into that, uh, we have a little trip to the mailbag. Friend of the show, Sonia Cory Missio of Toronto, Canada, says lyrics for lunch is getting us through packing. Well, I listen and repeat facts to Nick my partner also i once wrote a paper on taylor swift's love story positioning it as a postmodern feminist anthem in graduate school for my oh. masters clearly just listened to your swift episode and now i feel ashamed that people like me unfortunately exist Wait, why? <laughs> we need to unpack that i agree did you ask her what she means? Um, yeah, she she just loves pop culture. She says that she feels the same way about the Spice Girls, a hill she will die on. And uh, she got her master's in of arts in pop culture, so all of her papers were dumb. Is she saying the show's dumb? No, she's saying that she's dumb. Why is she ashamed? Don't be ashamed, Sonia. I'm just confused. Um, I really want to hear about uh, the... S- the love song paper because um one of the 
songs that I have on our spreadsheet on the shortlist is Love Song by Taylor Swift. And there's a woman, Beth McCarthy, who I reached out to and asked to come on the show. She didn't write back. So Beth, if you're listening, call me. Um, She rewrote the lyrics and actually turned them into more of a feminist anthem. And she has said that she loves Taylor Swift. It's not a dig at Swift's lyrics. She just reimagined them, you know, for like modern feminism. And I love it. So I really wanted to have her on the show to come talk about it so we could have her and Sonia and yeah. it'll just be like a party. Yeah. So Sonia, this is your official invitation to come on the show. Woohoo. So Sonia continues. Sonia and I oh. had, a, had a conversation over the last couple of couple of weeks gave me some suggestions for additional famous monsters for our famous monsters series i'm not going to tell you any of them but we we had a good good guffaw and she says people don't realize the beach boys are actually much more important to modern pop music than the beatles but i'm very much team beach boys and i hate the beatles but that's a whole other story I'm excited for the other story. Um, (laughs) The other story is my birthday is also December 8th, which is overshadowed by John Lennon's death every year, but not the same year. Is it? It's not I literally would never know when John Lennon's death was. Well, yeah. And I I like the Beatles. I knew it was December 8th. Uh, Not his fault he was murdered, but he was also not a good guy, Um, not implying that he deserved to be murdered. Two separate points. Indeed. Also, this is, this is, my favorite thing i believe i sent this to you quote sonia missio i literally spent 10 minutes explaining Lindsay lohan cool j to nick i realized it probably wasn't a bit it wasn't a bit <laughs> well um yes it wasn't a bit it i'm gullible a bit. i we don't should, know <laughs> listeners should we make t-shirts that say Lindsay lohan cool j at us if you want us y slash n um and (laughs) lastly from sonia she says she's listening to the wings episode and she's on hashtag team of eve's dad i'm always on hashtag team of eve's dad yeah so uh, for those of you who don't remember because i didn't remember i mentioned (laughs) that uh in israel it wasn't like beatles versus stones it was like beatles versus elton john and my dad was team elton john elton is great he doesn't even great belong in the category with those fools <laughs> okay sure i thought you liked the beatles <laughs> i do and from k ewing on instagram in response to our john hinckley episode which just dropped today but you'll have uh, had a couple of weeks to listen to it this is the kind of information i need to know in my life out here doing the lord's work thank you Kay. Wow, we are out here doing the Lord's work. Thanks. Thank you, Kay. Support the show. Go to our website, lyricsforlunch.com, and click support the show. You had mentioned that Beth, someone, what's Beth's last name? McCarthy. Beth, yeah, that Beth McCarthy rewrote Taylor Swift's love song to make it more feminist. Mm-hmm. Are we familiar with Exile and Guyville? No. So Exile and Guyville is a record from PJ Harvey who wrote responses to each of the Rolling Stones songs on Exile and Main Street. PJ Harvey is also in a few episodes of Gilmore Girls. I've never seen any Gilmore Girls. Which pains me because even though it might not be like your favorite, it's really good writing and I think you should watch it. Yeah, listen, I get it. I'm not like anti- that i just you know cheers isn't gonna watch itself okay veep isn't gonna rewatch itself for the eighth time okay you should watch gilmore girls you like 
other shows. <laughs> I do like other shows. So today we're going to be talking about Hallelujah Part Two. <laughs> no. This is Hallelujah Part 2, in which we're going to be talking about Hallelujah in the media, in pop culture, <laughs> and why it's been called a musical Rorschach test. Oh, yes. Okay. So, musical Rorschach test. And we're even going to have the Watchmen. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember that scene in Watchmen. Gross. Yeah. So why don't you get us up to speed about what we found out last week, where we left off? Last time on Lyrics for Lunch, uh, we talked about Hallelujah, which is a song written by Leonard Cohen, which was completely unfamous when it came out in 1984. And then Dylan, uh, comma Bob, made it a little bit more famous when he was singing it live on tour in 88. And then John Cale made it even more famous when they did like a Leonard Cohen tribute album. And when Leonard Cohen found out that Cale was doing this on the tribute album, he sent him handwritten, he faxed him like 15 pages of handwritten verses of Hallelujah, even though there's generally only like seven that anybody knows. And then the most famous version we're like getting more and more and more famous but the kind of most tragic quintessential version is jeff buckley's who then drowned in the mississippi river um in 1998 ish and it's about it, there's a bunch of biblical analogies leading towards sex and exaltation and one that sounds like the old west and one that sounds like the old west uh yeah jeff buckley died in 97 in 97. may so super close yeah exactly exactly right that's Thank that you. was a great recap God. Excellent oh we memory. took like 90 minutes to do that i could have just done it like in two two minutes jesus <laughs> i know what was i even doing last week um the song was covered nearly 300 times in under a decade what Celine the fuck, Dion. Really? <laughs> yeah uh, among the most famous coverers was Celine Dion, Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, side story, uh, he said that him and his friends used to like go down to the Mississippi River where Jeff Buckley died and try to retrace Buckley's final footsteps. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Um, Alicia Keys, Bono, Bon Jovi, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Su <laughs> Willie Nelson. Susan Boyle. And obviously Jeff Buckley. And so I mentioned this last week. There were also some some unanswered questions about the biblical history that that you had brought up that I found my answers to. I I talked to my dad. Um, okay, we're not talking about that yet. I know we're not talking about that yet. Um, but okay, there was a thing that I said that we were kind of dissecting last week, which is like, hallelujah should kind of sound like shit. Like it should be really, it should be very stripped down and it shouldn't be super ornate. And so the fact that all of these artists who have reputations for being so big with their voice or so big with their production, like, like Celine Dion or Justin Timberlake mm -hmm. do doing those covers. Like I haven't heard them, but like my instinct is like, I don't want to hear them. <laughs> yeah well i'm not gonna play them for you today uh, i actually made the choice not to bring in justin timberlake who um i mean i'm gonna mention this that he he played the song for a haiti benefit a haiti earthquake benefit like mm -hmm. relief benefit um but we're not playing it today okay. so anyone that wants to look that up can um he took out some of he changed some of the lyrics oh, uh 
yeah, there are too many cover versions to play them all. And we played like a bunch of them last week anyway. We did. We played a lot last week and we're not going to do much of that this week. In 2012, at an inaugural presentation for Penn New England's Award for Song Lyrics of Literary Excellence, which was presented at the JFK Library, Mm -hmm. Salman Rushdie called Hallelujah something anthemic and hymn-like, but if you listen closely, you hear the wit and jaundiced comedy. Uh, He used as an example Cohen's rhyming of the word Hallelujah with the casual What's It To Ya, Mm -hmm. which we talked about last week, comparing this playfulness with the work of poets W.H. Auden and James Fenton and describes the songs Melancholy and Exaltation, Desire, and Loss. So that was really just a quote that I felt kind of recapped everything that we discussed last week. Absolutely. And I I definitely see the the W.H. Auden in it because his poems were like 90 stanzas long to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's hear from Cohen on the song quickly before we dive in to our own bullshit. Um, <laughs> Cohen said, This world is full of conflicts and full of things that cannot be reconciled, but there are moments when we can transcend the dualistic system and reconcile and embrace the whole mess. And that's what I meant by hallelujah. That regardless of what the impossibility of the situation is, there is a moment when you can open your mouth and you throw open your arms and you embrace the thing and you just say, hallelujah, blessed is the name. The only moment that you can live here comfortably in these absolutely irreconcilable conflicts is in this moment when you embrace it all and you say, look, I don't understand a fucking thing at all. Hallelujah. That's the only moment that we live here fully as human beings. Wow. Yeah. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel like, well, no shit. Leonard Cohen <laughs> was super eloquent about the one of the greatest songs ever written that he also wrote. Right. <laughs> it still just is like, so, you know, there's this, there's this like casual brilliance to, to what he says, both in his songs and in talking about his songs that, yeah, like the world's a shitty place and I can't wait to die. Hallelujah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess. Just kidding, world. You know I love you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the the whole, like, the holy and the broken, the, the mm-hmm. cold and lonely, but it's all hallelujah. This is, uh, this is all leading up to Watchmen, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Isn't it? Sex. That's gonna that's gonna be the pull quote for, the, <laughs> for before the intro, just you going, sex. <laughs> My dad's probably like, what the shit is this? If he ever even listens to it. Oh my, you know, my dad's going to listen to this episode because we're talking about him. Well, yeah. So he's going to hear about how you've been keeping him from me this whole time. And I want to be best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, Okay. So we're going to listen to an alternate Cohen recording of the song that we didn't hear last week. We're only doing this to bring us all back to the song. And this recording is from October 1988. It was recorded as part of the Austin City Limits television special, but it was never used in the episode. I think that's kind of a prime example of how little attention, weight, and gravity the song held when it first came out. Yeah, it got cut from his program. (laughs) Like, yeah. That's ridiculous. Nobody gave any sense to it. Any shits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So let's listen to this. Live alone 
before I knew you Yeah, and I seen your flag on the marble arch But listen, love, love is not some kind of victory march No, it's a cold and it's ever a
Another thing we had mentioned last week was that after it had been released and Cohen was touring on it, he changed the the lyrics to start with maybe I've been here before, I've seen this room, I've walked this floor, which like I had read at the time as like uh you know, a, a cheeky sort of like you know what the song is, I know what the song is, and I'm going to change it up. But that isn't really the case because no one really knew the song. So like, right? It wasn't. It, was, he, what, it wasn't wildly popular. Like, yeah. So yeah. it's not that meta. Why did he change the lyrics? You know, Cohen is someone who has been known to be obsessive about lyrics, and ne- yeah, you you had mentioned that last week too. That was a question that I had, which is like, you said that he like obsessed over his lyrics and agonized over them. What like, what do you mean by that? He would be workshopping songs, you know, forever and. And Hallelujah is a good example of that because he wrote pages and pages and pages. And are you ready for me to reveal how many verses there are that we know of? I'm ready. So, so, okay. So last week we guessed at about 15, right? And we were unsure whether that was 15 pages or 15 verses. Right. We were unsure because in different accounts, Kale has said that Cohen faxed him 15 pages of lyrics or, and sometimes it's been said that it was 15 verses so okay what's the number 80 80 80 what the fuck fuck? yes that's so many fucking verses it is so yeah there is this kind of obsessive quality and this is also the, the sign of like a good standard right where it's like it feels like you can drop in you know n number of verses to fit the structure that you have created for yourself to tell the story that you want to tell sure and in this version you know the lyrics but also the way that the the composition is kind of feels more like a straight love song we've got the obvious biblical references stripped away which was the yeah david and david and 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 samson um, samson 
Right. Um, we have a Samson update also. From your dad. <laughs> from my dad, yes. Um, and we have a David update from me because uh, while I was doing research for this week's episode, it came to my attention that Cohen had an affair with a married woman. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, what? <laughs> so Cohen had an affair with a married woman named Marianne island i don't know how to pronounce her name i-h-l-e-n i-h-l-e-n island or eichlin if eichlin if it's like welsh (laughs) we're just gonna call her marianne marianne Um, so wait so okay but i need i need like a timeline because okay so so listeners from last week will know that the david story is that david saw bathsheba bathing on a roof fell in love with her but she was married and so he like sent her husband off to die so he could be with her correct so okay when did this marianne thing happen so cohen met marianne when she was married to norwegian novelist axel jensen on the greek island of hydra in 1960 1960 yeah so okay so it's not like it happened after hallelujah but it's also not like it just happened and he was writing some kind of reflection of what was going on in in his life at the time like this was rattling around in his brain for 24 years it seems that it was um a a love affair that marked his lifetime um you know marianne and alex eventually separated and uh cohen lived with marianne for a short period of time in the 60s but they separated in 1968 and then he would still send her love letters throughout his life when he was traveling So those letters uh, were auctioned off, actually, in June of 2019. Oh, God. So, so, okay. So, so, I mean, this, I would be willing to make, like, a legal case that this is, uh, it's a song that we find so universal, right? And we know the biblical references, and we know kind of biblical equals God equals sometimes sex like worship exaltation but like this seems like way more personal than i had ever this now yeah even imagined that he he wrote how long did he write her love letters for it seems their whole lives so um there was um this is from a june 2019 article from entertainment weekly When Marianne was in the hospital dying of leukemia in 2016, just as Cohen himself was facing death from cancer, he sent her a note, which afterwards was made public. I'm just a little behind you, close enough to take your hand, he wrote, three months before his own demise. This old body has given up, just as yours has, and the eviction notice is on its way. I've never forgotten your love and your beauty, but you know that. Safe travels, old friend. See you down the road. God damn it. (laughs) So that's, I mean, so that's just more of the kind of casual profundity that we were talking about earlier, right? Where it's like, he's, he's, he's talking about this, this great love of his life and this great beauty that is about to leave the earth. But he also talks about it like they're getting an eviction notice which is very cheeky right yeah right? yeah he definitely had a style yeah, i was gonna that. say that's part of his uh, brilliance i would say his poetry yeah. um 
Yeah. So to me, discovering this information kind of um, vindicated what I was saying last week about uh, the verse where, remember when I moved in you, the holy dove was moving to and every breath we drew was hallelujah. How I felt like it was kind of like um, about the loss of a great love and like, remember how we had this thing and we don't have it anymore. Yeah. And so much more specific than I had ever imagined right that like i you know he he's casting himself as david he's casting her as bathsheba and so now it feels like every verse of the song might refer to a specific thing that like maybe only he and she would get right remember when i did this Mm -hmm. my interpretation of it was like he was talking directly to god and now i'm like all fucked up and turned around because (laughs) Now I think he's literally sending her coded messages, right? Like, remember (laughs) when this one thing happened that I'm going to get the entire world to sing, not knowing what it's actually about, but like you and I will have the last laugh because only we know what it's truly referencing. Fuck. I know. I kind of like hate feelings and romantic stuff, but this is so romantic. I I don't I'm you know uh, obviously it is our speculation but like I am so confident <laughs> in this interpretation now. Okay. Um so this Fuck. wouldn't be the first time that Cohen wrote a song about Marianne if this had anything to what? do with her. And we do talk a lot about on the show about the line between autobiographical songs and um when you're sort of injecting fiction or or what maybe maybe the seed of the idea comes from the fact that he's going through this and and then he, you know he he spends years and years writing a song that did it spiral out of this year's long love affair and a broken heart or or was was that just a seed or did it have nothing to do with it yeah i mean it's it's an allegory could have been a montage of, of all of his relationships that's also true but yeah it's it's definitely an allegory as opposed to just a metaphor right yeah. it's it is representing something specific that he went or through. a group of specific things yeah cohen wrote the song so long marianne oh oh jesus which is about marianne I, I i i think that's a safe <laughs> question bet, yes. mark not not literal and these were these were written around the time of their like split in the late 60s i believe so i think so long marianne was written in the 60s and let's see i don't know the song hey that's no way to say goodbye so let's take a look at that yeah so so long marianne came out in 67 so right before they split officially cool. brutal yeah and that's no way to say goodbye came out in 67 as well so like yeah this album songs of leonard cohen which which is what song marianne's on like that's it seems like he was going through shit and like just continued to go through shit for the next 15 17 years and longer longer (laughs) yeah right yeah 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 fuck um okay oh my god are you okay (laughs) Yeah, not so. No, I mean, no, but yeah. Fuck. Well, I wanted us to hear that other version of um, Hallelujah (laughs) because I thought it was a great example of Cohen embodying what he said, which is there are many versions of Hallelujah, like literal. There's the broken Hallelujahs and the joyous Hallelujahs and all Hallelujahs have equal weight. 
Yeah. Well, this is a this is a much bleaker hallelujah than even I thought was there <laughs> at first. You know, it had universal truths before, but now it, that it has specific truths, it like breaks my heart into like a million pieces further. Yeah. Well, great. This is perfect. Now we're going to talk about its relevance <laughs> in popular culture mm. and what yes. many have deemed its overuse. I, I do want to give a, an Aviv's dad update. On the tail end of this sad, sad affair bullshit, let's hear about Aviv's dad and the Samson story. Yes. So last week we had discussed the Samson story and how I had remembered as a kid hearing the story from my father and specifically him saying that Delilah cut, tried to coax the secret of Samson's strength out of him and that he told her it was like this kind of rope and she tied him up to the kitchen chair with this kind of rope and then it was this kind of rope and she tied it up with a different kind of rope and like it took several times for him to admit that it was his hair right so i called my dad and in a true in true double blind fashion i said dad i cannot tell you what this is about <laughs> but just will you remember the samson story that you told me when i was a kid can you just retell it to me now okay and so he told it to me no rope really really so i don't know where this came from but did you ask him were you uh, like so afterwards i asked him. okay but so so this is the, the story that he told was the story that you told last week but he was like you know that song from shrek <laughs> wait your dad knows shrek yeah <laughs> i didn't know that my dad knew shrek but my dad's like remember in shrek when they said tied you to a kitchen chair broke your throne and cut your hair and i was like yeah that's literally what i'm asking you about pop but he mentioned something that that is the end of the Samson story, which does have rope involved. Okay, right? tell me. So, so I, th so I think that this is uh, the non BDSM reading of tied you to the kitchen chair. It's just out of order. So, after Delilah and the Philistines cut Samson's hair, they tied him to two pillars in their temple and like made him work. After they gouged and his eyeballs out. After they gouged his eyeballs out. So he was blinded. Don't you see we have these really disgusting themes that keep coming back like missing eyeballs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so so they but they tied him up to force him to work and that made him, you know, they let his hair grow back accidentally and he like killed himself within the temple. But there is definitely like canonically a part of the story where Samson is tied up. Okay. And I even asked him, I was like, oh, I remember this thing with like him lying to her and her tying him up with rope. And he's like, no, I don't remember that at all. So, Weird. <clears throat> yeah, strange, right? Yeah. So since my dad uh, did not provide any, any guidance, I turned to the book that I always turn to when I'm feeling lost and alone. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I looked up whether this this story was in the bible th thinking that you know m might as well go straight to the the source the horse's mouth whatnot and much to my surprise and should be everyone's surprise it is it is what it is in the bible the story of samson getting tied to something right the 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 samson lying about what the source of his strength is and then yeah so like yeah this this ruse so this is gonna so I, I have the passage in front of 
in front of us. This is Judges 16.4 to Judges 16.17. And I'll just read it. Okay. Judge me. Ready? Ready. Judges 16.4. And it came to pass afterwards that he loved a woman from the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines. Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. What's it like in New York City? <laughs> That's. I was doing the, the radio station Delilah. Oh, I don't know what that is. But we definitely will do a Hey There, Delilah episode because it ain't it ain't great 16.5 and the lord of, and the lords of the philistines came up onto her and said unto her entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth and by what means we may prevail against him that way we may bind him to afflict him and we will give thee every one of us 1100 pieces of silver and Delilah said unto Samson, "Tell me, I pray thee, wherein the great, wherein thy great strength lieth." And hold on, they're just like, "Hey, torture this guy, and then we'll give ourselves all this silver." No, they're, they're going to give her the silver. Okay, and you said unto every one of us, I think. Give thee, and we will give thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. So, so I think that there's like a comma problem, right? Where okay. we're, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you, but me and all my friends, every one of us is gonna give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Okay, okay, I'm back in. And Delilah said to Samson, "Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee." And Samson said unto her, "If they bind me with seven greens, with seven green withs that were never dried, so these are like seven vines, seven like fresh vines, then I shall be weak and be as any other man." And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green withs which had not been dried. And Why is he agreeing to this? I don't know because he's in love with her, okay. right? The lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green withs with which had not been dried. And she bound him with them. And now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, the Philistine be upon thee, Samson. And he broke the widths and like they were a thread of tow, which is broken when it touches a fire. So his strength was not still unknown to them. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith you mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that were never occupied, then I shall be weak and be as any other man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait in the, in the abiding chamber. And he broke the ropes off of him off of his arms like a thread. Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto you hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith you mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest seven locks of my head with a web, right? So if you, if you braid my hair in, in, a, in a seven braid thing. And she, <laughs> seven braid thing. And she, this is Judges sixteen fourteen, And she fastened it with a pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pin. He took the pin out of his hair. And he was fine. And she said unto him, How can thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and has not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was very vexed unto death. And then he told her all his heart. He said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall be weak and be like any other man. 
So this is the basically the exact story that I thought that my father had told me when I was a kid. It's possible that he did, or it's possible that I learned it from a different source, but I was right. Vindication. <laughs> okay, everyone just had to listen to that boring-ass Bible story so that we would know that Aviv was right. Yes, I had to read the boring-ass Bible. <laughs> Um, and this is from the King James Bible. I didn't want to do any, uh, I didn't want like the new American, whatever, whatever, just in case someone was like, that's not what it says, but yep. So that's, that's the story of Samson and the story of Aviv being right. Um, also side note about, I feel that the King James Bible is complete bullshit. I did go to Sunday school when I was a kid and I remember them teaching us about it and me thinking like, well, this is just utter bullshit. Mm -hmm. Why am I reading this? This guy rewrote the fucking Bible so we could get a divorce and I'm supposed to trust this? No. (laughs) Well, but it was also like the first Bible done on a printing press, right? That was, that's the thing about the King James. Is that right? Google it. I, I try not to know Bible stuff. Yeah, well, I th- I got this through <laughs> osmosis and didn't didn't quite realize that it was in there somewhere. So there you go. Moving on. So sorry, sorry for <laughs> for reordering stuff, but I thought that that was important. That my dad immediately went to. Shit. Oh my god, I think it's perfect and hilarious and amazing. In September 2016, the New York Times published an article titled "How Pop Culture Wore Out Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah." Mm-hmm. And this is from that article. Hallelujah has become a contemporary standard performed everywhere from subway stops to synagogues, where its melody is often transposed onto the lyrics of the Sabbath liturgical song, Some Jewish Words. What? Wait. (laughs) Bono, Bon Jovi, Willie Nelson, Paramore, and Celine Dion have all recorded it. But Hallelujah is most famous from film and TV where it has soundtracked dozens of deaths and breakups and been belted in too many singing competitions to count because it telegraphs emotion, both mournful and hopeful, and involves some vocal acrobatics. It has become shorthand for capital big emotional moment and employed by performers looking to stamp themselves with authenticity. Even though I misunderstood what the song was truly about, Mm -hmm. it feels like that is even further off. Sure, sure, sure. And we will talk about the misinterpretations and misuse or like what some people would call misuse but the yeah but i agree with this this author that it is a shorthand for big emotional moment goes here totally so this is from the holy or the broken which is the hallelujah book the book that we were pulling from last (laughs) by alan light yeah it plays every saturday night on the israeli defense forces radio network it made the list of rolling stones 500 greatest songs of all time and in a poll of songwriters by the british music magazine q it was named one of the top 10 greatest tracks of all time alongside the likes of blowing in the wind born to run and strawberry fields forever according to bono who has performed hallelujah on his own and with you too it might be the most perfect song in the world I mean, I think that it might be the most perfect song in the world, but like, uh, I don't know. I have issue with it being played on any army's radio network. <laughs> like that feels kind of, that feels kind of like maybe don't, and, maybe and don't. Why? Tell us why. Well, cause it's not about violence and, and clearly not all arm like, like, you know, there, there's an argument to be made that certain armies or any armies are peacekeeping forces and blah 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 but like you know armies have guns guns are used to kill people this feels like entirely antithetical to what the song is and furthermore by playing it 
and like lulling your soldiers to sleep with this song it like i don't know i feel like it gives them it's like weird brainwashing indoctrination of like we're here to do the righteous thing which is like a fucked just like oh it's all fucked up man right so i asked so i asked you to ask your dad about the song apart from the samson story because uh, your dad was in the israeli army in the 70s yes my dad was in the israeli army in the 70s this song didn't come out until 1984 so there's no way that it could have been played over the Israeli. But does he know? Stadium. Does he know about that association? Has he heard anything about it? Does he have any feelings about it? He hasn't heard anything about it. I asked him specifically, and he said the only thing he could possibly think of is that people may have been singing it while they were marching. Yeah, but I think you were kind of spot on with the the like lulling people to sleep comment because I think it was I think I read it plays around two or three a.m. every night, and I hate that. <laughs> I and 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 to be fair, I would hate that if it were any army, right? Like 100%. no no army deserves anything this beautiful. When you are convincing your soldiers that they are a part of something holy. You've got yourself a problem. Right. And that Eth- ethically. That directly ties into the next thing I was gonna say, which is that the Jeff Buckley version was used for the official post nine eleven tribute video that played on VH one. Gross. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> um I couldn't find that on YouTube, but I did find another nine lots of unofficial nine eleven tribute videos, and I sent one of them to you. Thanks. Thank you for that. So let's look at. I'm gonna get like at that. weird QAnon truther shit marketed to me now. This is called Hallelujah 9/11 Memorial Tribute. We will never forget September 11th, day that changed the world, with no punctuation. Rick, wait, video by Rick Sh- Rick Cheney. Fucking Dick Cheney has got like a goddamn YouTube channel. And and made, and just changed his name to Rick Cheney and hope no one would ever notice. Yes, that or the scarier thing, which is that people are obsessed. There's more with than it. one. Yeah, I hate that. Oh, gee, what the fuck? What is okay, that? So there's that was KKK piles of dead bodies that may have been from the Holocaust, burning 9/11 building, a storm, just like a, a random storm, and then another random storm. It looks like it was filmed off of a television. Right. You can see the lightning flare, lens flares or whatever. Yeah. Oh, a page peel. What? The Ten Commandments, but in reverse? I don't. This made me want to smoke a cigarette and I haven't smoked a cigarette in like years. (laughs) I feel like I need to smoke a cigarette after this. (laughs) Yeah. So, and someone dropped to her knees and like a family, sad Asian girl and family praying. Yeah, this is so weird. So yeah, this is like a weird clip show. Oh, a firefighter, a doctor, and a someone with a pencil. Jesus, Jesus with a business to lady. Some random dude. <laughs> it's literally Jesus with a modern day business lady or sh- shopping woman. And a guy looking at himself in the mirror. Death toll, Death toll rises. Rises. The Daily News. Yeah, this is horrible. So, but this is basically like a clip art slideshow set to set to hallelujah of 
there's like three things that that are kind of all together which is like biblical imagery including lots of jesus imagery of destruction yep and like storms and death and death right yeah yeah so hallelujah has really kind of become this like boilerplate song for sadness or memoriam mm-hmm which it shouldn't be, right? No. It is it is there is an optimism to the song that no one see like a morose optimism, right? It's just like this is death and destruction and sadness and and loss and listen to how good my voice is. Yeah, I guess. It makes me really upset. It's really cringy and we're going to have a lot of a few more cringy moments, so Great. But along that same line of thought, um this is from the Alan Light book. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah had become a staple for such sentimental moments as the 2011 Emmy Awards in memoriam segment. Eat shit, guys. (laughs) I might understand it for the one after he died. Right. But eat shit, guys. Uh, For some, it was a hallelujah too far. New York Magazine's website live blogged, Hallelujah is on the artistic ban list. Sorry, Emmys. A story on Salon.com decried the criminal overuse of Hallelujah. The song has been included in so many movies and television shows over the years. The West Wing, ER, The OC, House, on and on and on. That in 2009, Cohen himself suggested a moratorium on further soundtrack placements. I think it's a good song, he said, but too many people sing it. Okay, so imagine yourself... You're Leonard Cohen. It's 1980, (laughs) right? You're broken up about your long-lost one true love, Marianne, (laughs) who left her husband for you potentially, and then you broke up, but you still love her, and you're sending her love letters, and so like you decide to write this inside, winky, American standard biblical allegorical thing but it's just about your relationship i just need to fact check you he left her for another woman the husband left marianne for another woman yeah oh i think she was too afraid to leave because it was the 60s yeah and fair but eventually he left her for an affair that he was having so then cohen and her got together irrelevant to my larger point you write this song and you're like yeah this is a pretty dope song <laughs> and everyone gets fucking it. everyone fucking hates yeah. it. no one no one gives a shit and your buddy bob dylan's like hey this hey man this song's really good and then starts singing it and everyone's like fuck yeah this song fucking rules and you're like that's what i thought you know <laughs> that's what i thought but also like ha 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 you guys don't fucking get it like you don't you don't really get this song you don't know me and then it's like this Frankenstein's monster where he's like, that's, that's enough slices yeah. where like he's alive and he's getting like old and decrepit and he has to watch someone on the voice sing a song about a, a, a time where he like fucked this lady 50 years ago. <laughs> and she's like crying. <laughs> and he's like, stop it. Like you like, st- stop it. Yeah. No more. I, cannot imagine what he was thinking. <laughs> and like every time he like tries to watch like a soap opera he's like god damn it god fucking damn it um so- oh i'll just turn on a happy medical comedy to to wash away my f- cares nope exactly so let's watch how about, Hallelujah a, ki- how about a kids movie in scrubs oh this is my favorite episode of scrubs too i've never seen scrubs 
Oh, it's really good. So this, so so this is an episode of Scrubs called "My Old Lady," and it uh, is the third episode of the series. And it's about the 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 episode begins with the conceit that one in every three patients in a hospital will never leave the hospital; they'll they will die there. And so you meet the three main characters, and they each have three patients. And the entire episode, you are questioning which one of them is going to die at the end of the episode until you get to this scene and you realize that all three of them are going to die oh okay let's watch it it's it's my favorite episode of this show potentially except for the the second finale there were three finales don't 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 worry about it i love scrubs all right i'm gonna have to watch it it's really good this episode particularly is great Uh uh-huh Are you okay? And that's Mrs. Lanahan. I'm scared. I, that was that's Mrs. Landingham from uh, the West, West Wing, Wing, who also dies. Who also in dies the, in, in the Brothers in Arms scene, not the Hollywood. Not the Hollywood. Mercifully. <laughs> so this is the kale version. Yes. I'm kind of forgiving of this this context because a because it's like earlier than many of the other ones, but b this song is about kind of finding the optimism to move on. So I think that this is like if I had to pick one, this is still an appropriate use. Okay. I also just really like this episode. Yeah, you're biased. I am absolutely biased. I just wanted you to know that she went very peacefully. You know you did everything you could for my son. I can't tell you how glad I am he had a friend here with him. Don't second guess yourself. You made the right call. You did. I know. So basically, so they say that one out of every three patients admitted to this place will die here. But some days the odds are worse than that. I'm so sorry. And on days like that, I guess the best you can hope for is that you took something from it. Anything. Anything at all. Even if it's just taking the time to lie in the grass and think about all the things you still have left to do. This episode and the, the finale never failed to make me cry. Finally, you're crying on the show for once. I cry when I edit it. <laughs> you do? And and as much as I love the West Wing, this clip from the West Wing is super cloying. Yeah, so let's watch that now. I love the West Wing. Uh, I watched it all the like my parents were watching it when it was on TV, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Big Biako Rubenstein, <laughs> my dad, huge West Wing fan. 
so then I watched it. It's a big my dad episode. <laughs> huge, huge episode for your dad. Uh, I watched it on Netflix, as one does. And I remember it kind of breaking my heart because I started watching it before Trump was elected. And then I had to finish mm-hmm. it after. And it's hard to watch after that. Because it's all very, like, um, idealistic. It has broken a lot of people's brains because, like, the the good guys in the show, all they need to do is appeal to the bad guy's sense of duty in the right way, and the bad guys will, like, meet them halfway on things, and that's, like, literally never going to happen. Yeah. Might as well be Star Wars. So this is the end of season three. Uh, CJ, who is the press secretary, has fallen in love with her Secret Service protection, played by Mark Harmon of NCIS. His name is Simon Donovan in this. And because no one is ever allowed to be happy, Simon Donovan is, spoilers for season three of The West Wing, (laughs) shot randomly, like, picking up flowers. Like a 7-Eleven, yeah. Yeah, in a 7-Eleven. And he was on her Secret Service detail because she was getting death threats, like, email death threats. And this 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 murder was totally random. Yeah. Well, come on. Don't spoil it. Let's watch. All right. I'm ready. This is the this is the role that got him NCIS. This is the inception of Gibbs. Mm-hmm. They Gibbs saw him is on hot. This. He's like all my daddy great. fantasies, I guess. It's great. <laughs> yeah, your dad should absolutely not listen to this episode. Secret Service agent. This is also like very stupid of him to do. Oh yeah, and then he's like cocky about it. Doesn't doesn't for a moment allow that that there could be more than one robber. Or that he's not the robber. I don't get a Milky Way bar pretty soon. I still gasp. So, like I said, big fan of the West Wing. This is bad. This is not a good use of this song. Oh, the flowers falling on the ground. What is this fucking Bruce Wayne's parents? Bruce Wayne's parents. What play are they seeing? I feel like presidents, on the whole, shouldn't go to the theater. So Sorkin famously is like very, very bad at music selection. <laughs> he just has like old guy dad. Yeah. Energy. Very on the nose. Somebody's made a mistake. He was just on his way to the field office. Yeah, this just like super duper wants to be the godfather and isn't quite the godfather. It's going on for too long for me. But again, it's kind of like the cheap shot. It's like, well, yeah, you can always use hallelujah to get some tears flowing. Yeah. So but this is so this is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing I want to bring up. So so actually Scrubs started in 2001, right? The so that episode my old lady which is the one that hallelujah was played was in 2001 this episode of 
the West Wing was in spring of 2002 because the third season of the West Wing started right after 9-11. Shrek is also from 2001. Yeah. So this is like not just pop culture taking the song and, and, and exploding with it, but all within the same like seems to be six month period. There's also a scene in House where um, Cameron is like talking to her patient and her patient's like, she's like telling her that she's terminal and she's like, but I just have a cold and it's Hallelujah is playing too. Do we, do we remember what episode that is? The Acceptance, I think it's called. Acceptance. Yeah. So Acceptance was 2005. Okay. Way later. Uh, not not way right it's still within like a five-year period right it, c- considering that the song laid dormant for so <laughs> right, long true you know yeah yeah um and sh- and shrek this all may have been because of shrek right because shrek came out in april of 01 so everyone would have had time to like this like they would have been reminded of how great the song is from this movie and then been like yeah let's throw it in here for this emotional moment so i think that i am i i'll go as far as to say that i think shrek is the is the thing that started this whole pop culture emotional moment phenomenon even though it wasn't really used that way in the in shrek was it? It's a sad scene in Trek. So it is a sad scene in Trek. Let's watch that now. Okay. I talked to her last night. Jeez, I know you talked to her last night. You're great pals, aren't you? Now, if you two are such wow. good friends, like why don't you follow man. her home? But Shrek, I, I want to go with you. Hey, I told you, didn't I? You're not coming home with me. I live alone. My swamp. Me. Nobody else. Understand? Nobody. Especially useless, pathetic, annoying, talking donkeys. But I thought. Yeah, you. You know what? You thought wrong. Trick. Oh, friends, friends being sad. I heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But so he's like upset about Fiona. Like Fiona told Donkey that he loves her, he she loves him, and Donkey went to go tell Shrek that, and then Shrek like exploded because he thinks he's an ogre that's gonna be alone forever, right? Correct. Okay. That's like basically my whole life. Shut up. Yeah. So this is like the low moment in the movie, but unlike the other two that we watched, no one's dying. Right, but Fiona's about to get married to someone she doesn't love. Farquad. The fire. I remember. I definitely remember the shot of the fire, and being so wowed by how real it looked. How real it looked. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't this look real. Okay. Even Watchmen was oh nine, right? Like that wasn't that long ago it wasn't that long between 01 and 09 it was it's been more time since oh between 09 and now right
Oh, they so this maybe is, there's a God above. Yeah. And this is the Kale version, but they put the Rufus Wainwright version on the soundtrack. Yes. So the reason that they put the Rufus Wainwright version on the soundtrack is because this is a DreamWorks movie. And so the whatever DreamWorks is part of, you know, whatever, Warner Brothers. And so Wainwright was on the record label that also is owned by the people that own DreamWorks. And so they wanted to throw it to someone who was on a record label that they owned. Makes perfect sense. I like the Wainwright version. Yeah, I do too. So the musical directors for Shrek discovered Kale's cover because it was in the 1996 film Basquiat. Which is about the painter Jean-Michel Basquiat. Fabulous painter. I know all about him. Yeah, he has a very specific style. Uh, So about the point when they put it in the film, the director said, the song came at a moment of emotional irony, taking something that's a celebration and playing it against itself. Mm Mm-hmm. So and then the that? irony became the so the subtext became the text. Sure. At some point. And people who grew up with this movie call the song "Call Hallelujah" the Shrek song. Correct. And and I had made that joke a couple times. Clearly, you did. I knew <laughs> I I knew it before Shrek. But um, but yes, most people. My dad, who is a huge Leonard Cohen fan with almost no prompting was like oh yeah the shrek song when i think of the shrek if if you were like what's the shrek song to me before i did this episode i would have said somebody once no, told me the world that. is gonna roll me accidentally in love what bow, accidentally bow, in love bow, i think bow, that that's bow, from bow. the second one really obviously yeah, i'm not crows. a huge shrek fan but i just remember that being shrek I I would I would not go as far as to say that any Counting Crows song is um good. Yeah, that's from Shrek Two. <laughs> the Shrek Two song, Accidentally in Love. The Shrek, the classic. <laughs> tune in next week for <laughs> the second in our Shrek series, Shrek Two, Accidentally in Love. So that was two thousand one. In two thousand three, mm-hmm. so two thousand two was West Wing. Two thousand three, we have the OC. Oh Jesus fucking Christ. But so there's so there's one huge high pro so there's one in, there's two in 2001 one in 2002 and now one in 2003 the oc used hallelujah many times so the first time was in the it first did? season once in the second oh, episode uh during an intimate moment between the star-crossed high school lovers marissa and ryan why did they use it over and over again though a flashback humor <laughs> flashback humor hey we gotta have a hallelujah gag in here uh so yeah uh then they used it again in the finale before all the main characters parted ways and there's i think it was like seth cohen was like on a boat and uh, whatever i absolutely this may is i want to throw up but you didn't even watch the oc right no never okay so since you've never seen the OC to begin with, we are going to watch the climactic final use of Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. But through the eyes of a beloved, another beloved television drama, Girl Boss. Wait, okay. I don't understand. Well, I know, but you're about to. Girl Boss is a Netflix show based on the life of Sofia Amoroso, founder of vintage clothing retailer Nasty Gal and the Girl Boss Empire. I love this show. There's only one season of it. I've watched it many times. It takes place in San Francisco, which is also a plus. So at this point in the show, Sophia 
is in her early 20s. She's struggling to find herself. She's working like she, she works a bunch of dead-end jobs and then she starts an eBay store upcycling clothes that she buys at like Goodwill. So at this point in the show, she's just getting her eBay store off the ground and she's watching the OC on live TV with her friends. Okay, so this is a period piece. This is a period piece. And you will hear Sophia on the phone with a problem customer, Lady Shopper 99, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. the Marissa and Ryan scene plays out on the television. And so this is the finale of the OC? That there, This is the finale of season three of the OC that is being watched they're watching on Girlboss. On Girlboss. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Oh, shit, she's dead? She's dead? That Melissa chick important? Yeah. She's not just like a character on a show, thank okay? Thank you for calling. She's thank also you so really much. pretty. So, so much. <laughs> Sophia? Okay, thank you. We'll Sophia. talk soon. Bye-bye. Sophia. Have a good one. Sophia. <sighs> I killed her. Those monsters killed her. So they killed Marissa. I believe I had a work call during the most significant TV event of our lifetime. I hope this means to make Taylor Townsend a regular next year. Who the fuck likes Taylor Townsend? So who's singing that version? That was Image and Heap. Ah, uh, Image and Heap. Love Image and Heap. And I know the gag. The is that the OC gag where they they shoot somebody and uh, mm, what you say? Yeah, that's also the OC. <laughs> okay, okay. So they were like super into Image and Heap. Um, and then I gave you another timestamp that I want you to go to just so we can come full circle on this episode and how great it is. Great use of irony. Okay, Sophia's deathly afraid of bridges. She has to get this dress to this wedding because this girl's getting married today. She has a hernia. She had to run over the bridge. Is this the Imogen Heap version of Hallelujah? Yeah. She's carrying the dress just like Ryan carried Marissa <laughs> out of the burning car. Oh, and the, the, the welder in the background. Uh-huh. Really nice. Baby, I've been here before. I've seen this room. I love this. <laughs> it's the You're welcome. I Lady Shepherd Night. Here, okay. That's, that was excellent. <laughs> okay, so the Watchmen. So we had Scrubs and Shrek in t- 2001, Basquiat in 96, Scrubs and Shrek 2001, West Wing 2002. OC in 2003, House in 2005, and now we're into The Watchmen in 2009. And it is a uh, a cursed movie. People either love it or hate it, and most people hate it. I don't really care for it. Do you want to set up this clip? You want me to set up this clip? Keep going. You're doing a great job. So in the graphic novel, okay, let me start over. Zack Snyder is good at kind of one thing, and it's visually re-representing stuff from a graphic novel into a movie with like out context right so all of his movies that are based on comic books which is most of them just look like a melange of comic book pages that don't have a story and so in the Watchmen graphic novel there's a famous scene where Silk Spectre number two also played by Gene Smart in the Watchmen show and Night Owl 2 played by Patrick Wilson have sex in Night Owl's airship dirigible named Archie. Excellent. And, and in the movie, well, in the movie, 
Hallelujah, so I tried to touch. Bow, chicka, wow, wow. I didn't come to fool you. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing. Climactic moment of their lovemaking, Archie, the blimp, shoots a flame of fire into the air because Zack Snyder is an extremely subtle filmmaker. (laughs) So this is, I'll say, after like going through all of the, all of the discussions with you, this seems more apt to what Hallelujah really is about than like, you know, the house episode or the OC episode. A hundred percent. And that's actually why I wasn't going to include Watchmen. I took it out and then I was like, no, I'm putting it back in because I felt like this is the only, exactly what you're just saying, but this is the only time that we see this in the media where it breaks away from the sad montage. I'm, I really hate to, to be complimentary to Zack Snyder <laughs> or any of his movies, but this probably is correct. And this movie and story take place in 1985. So not only did they use the right version, but it's like, you know, an ac- it's a- chronologically correct. It, it all kind of works. Right. I don't, I don't need the spurt of fire no, from Archie. We don't. We don't. But other than that, I think it's okay. So a graduate student named Michael Barthel was studying media studies at Syracuse's Newhouse School, and he wrote a piece on Cohen's Hallelujah and its use in media, and that's entitled, It Doesn't Matter What You Heard, The Curious Cultural Journey of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Every every piece on Hallelujah is like, random line from the song, colon. I know. An explanation of my paper. I know. <laughs> Uh, are we going to do that for our episode yeah. title? What's this episode called? How to shoot at someone who outdrew you. <laughs> Colon, the exploration of. <laughs> so he he talks about the sad montage, too. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's actually the what cap- got me thinking. Capital about- S, sad montage. Yeah. Uh, it's actually what got me thinking about Watchmen when I was rereading about the sad montage this morning and i was like i'm gonna put watchmen in because it's the only one that's like not sad montage Mm -hmm. so he wrote what's fascinating about all this and by all this he's talking about hallelujah being used in all the shows that we just named Right. Uh, he talks a lot about the OC, so just pretend we're still in the OC. What's fascinating Great. about all this is not simply the song's ubiquity on TV dramas. It's that it's used in the exact same way every time. Songs can be used sincerely, ironically, as background shading, as subtle comment, as product placement. But Hallelujah always appears as people are being sad, quietly sitting and staring into space, or ostentatiously crying, and always as a way mm-hmm. of tying together the sadness of different characters in different places. In short, it's always used as part of a sad montage. Yes, 100%. I think, but I think we watched that settle in, right? Like we watched it really coalesce as the sad montage in, in the clips that we were watching today. We did. So he made a clip of the sad montages. A montage of the <laughs> montages. Montage of the montages. Get, a, get another music supervisor. Yeah. 
So this is more from his paper. The way Hallelujah is being used here is the auditory equivalent of a silent film actress pressing the back of her hand to her forehead to express despair. Emotional shorthand. It's sometimes called a needle drop, and it's an element of visual grammar that signals the mood of the scene loudly and unmistakably. In the Scrubs musical featurette... What is a Scrubs musical featurette? So on on the DVDs of Scrubs, they had a little featurette, like a little mini documentary on the music of Scrubs. Okay. In the Scrubs musical featurette, creator Bill Lawrence says, how are we going to make a show where a lot of the comedy comes from broad, silly jokes, switch gears on a dime, and suddenly be dramatic? What we found is we were able to make that transition quickly if we chose the right song. But it doesn't work if it's too explicit. That theatrical gesture of hand to forehead has no obvious connection to the emotion of despair, and neither does Hallelujah. It gets used in scenes more obviously soundtracked with songs called, say, We are in a hospital and everyone is dying or facing difficult choices. (laughs) (laughs) But that would be too explicitly about sadness, whereas the chorus of Cohen's song was designed to apply to a range of emotions, the different Hallelujahs. It can both reinforce and counterpoint. Yeah. And I think I think also the the construction of the songs, the, like the musicality of the song, has to do with its its universality, right? It's it's a very pleasing four chords in a very pleasing order. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's like evocative of a kind of a melancholy emotion, right? It certainly is. And then in a March two thousand six interview for CBS Sunday Morning, which was filmed but never aired, a theme. Cohen addressed the ongoing interest in the song, but this time with more of a pep in his step. He said, it's wonderful. The path of that song has been so curious to me because when I first put that song out, perhaps my own version of it was not distinguished. It certainly doesn't compare to the subsequent versions of it. But when I put the record out, no one remarked on the song. And then years later, it started to appear. He mentioned that Kale's version had been used in Shrek, and he continued, then suddenly many, many people were using it. It seems to have discovered its place. I was very, very surprised at how it was resurrected because it was really lost. I mean, I think the the moral of this episode is that Shrek is such a culture, so culturally significant to us that it gave us hallelujah how we understand it now. Shrek did. <laughs> Shrek. Thanks a lot, Shrek. <laughs> um, the next segment is what it means for religion mm. and how uh, this ties into how Alan Light calls it somewhat of a musical Rorschach test. Folk rock artist Brandi Carlile, for instance, calls Hallelujah the greatest song ever written. And she says it's what allowed her to reconcile her Christian faith with her sexuality as a gay woman. Brandy says she went through a period where she listened to the song on repeat for eight hours a night as she slept or tried to sleep. And she says, to me, it really outlined how people tend to misconstrue religion versus faith. I felt that this song was in a really pure, realistic way, describing what Hallelujah actually is. It's not a cry that you hear at night. It's not somebody that's seen the light. Hallelujah is not something that you shout out on a Sunday in a happy voice. It's something that happens in a way that's cold and broken and lonely. And that's how I was feeling at the time. So, I mean, she's right. Sounds totally, totally right. Um, There's also plenty of discourse as to what the song means in the context of the Jewish faith. Oh, great. Um, Um, So so thus begins the Jew stuff. Here's the Jew stuff. That I was promised. (laughs) So I'm going to read to you from a different article that was published in the foreword, which was formerly called the Jewish Daily Foreword. Mm -hmm. Um, This article is by PJ Grissar. Grissar? And it is lamely titled... Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, a forward investigation in nine verses. Wait, no, it's not called it's that. Not, it's not somebody who's seen the light, <laughs> colon. 
<laughs> yeah. I thought it was called How Jewish is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. I'm already. Maybe that's just the meta tag. Yeah, maybe. How Jewish is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, a forward investigation in nine verses. Okay. So I'm just going to read this to you. Our story, like its subject, starts in several places. The balmy parapets of Jerusalem, where David gives into temptation. The third row pew of a Montreal synagogue, where the shul president's son learns about the Bible's most calamitous affair. A movie theater in Mohegan Lake, New York, where a 10-year-old Jewish boy watches a movie called Shrek and hears plaintive piano while an ogre (laughs) surveys his ransacked swamp catching a glimpse of his reflected face in shattered glass as these words play i heard there was a sacred chord no david played and it pleased the lord but you don't really care for music what's 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 this guy's name gil shut up gil uh i think his name's pj pj fuck you pj PJ. i was that 10 year old kid hearing leonard cohen's hallelujah for the first time P.S. That wasn't Leonard Cohen. And wondering what it had to do with the giant green guy I've been watching for the past hour. Like most people, I haven't been able to escape the song, an infectious melody with cryptic verses and a simple chorus of a sacred word and too many covers to name. Not cryptic. Not cryptic. (laughs) We've been three three hours on how not cryptic it actually is. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. In some ways, as the poet sang, it doesn't matter which you heard. Not because all versions were created equal, but because in two decades, the song has become so pervasive as to signify nothing and everything. A case in point, just a few months after the Republican National Convention featured two unauthorized versions of Hallelujah set to fireworks, gospel singer Yolanda Adams performed a version approved by Cohen's estate on the eve of President Biden's inauguration as part of a memorial to 400,000 dead of COVID-19. Both uses played mere feet from each other on the National Mall seemed to hit the wrong note. PJ. <laughs> um, so let's just do an aside about that. Yeah. So so he, I mean, he broken clock is right twice a day. Like it is extremely tone deaf for the, the Republicans to basically use any song because everyone they are, hates a, them. <laughs> they are, yeah, they are joyless and artless people. Um, <laughs> and if they and if they knew what the song was truly about, they would they would burst into flames, right? It's about it's about sex, and, and they hate that. There was another article in the forward that was like Jews plead once again. Listen to the lyrics of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, and it's like on January nineteenth, twenty twenty one, before the reflecting pool by the Lincoln Memorial, gospel singer Yolanda Adams concluded a somber memorial to the four hundred thousand dead of COVID. Uh, while many found it moving, many many others questioned the needle drop. And this is a tweet from Rebecca Pierce. I don't mm-hmm. know who I've needs seen, to I hear. I know this. I know this tweet. Okay. I don't know who needs to hear this, but Hallelujah is a song about Jews clapping cheeks and questioning the existence of Hashem. Correct. Okay. So uh, let's 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 break that. Let's break it open. I don't know who needs to hear this. Literally everyone. Hallelujah (laughs) is a song. Hallelujah is a song about Jews clapping cheeks. That means having sex. Dad. That means having sex. Dads. And questioning the existence of Hashem. Hashem for Lindsay and and you guys out there. Hashem is is the Hebrew word for God, but not exactly. So we're not supposed to say the word God's true name. So Hashem is like it, it Hashem just means the name in Hebrew. Okay. So 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 you you would say like so that God's name So you say I n- use the name in vain, but I don't even know the name. 
Hashem Hashem, the name. <laughs> yeah, so so Jews are super duper not supposed to say God's true name, which is Yahweh. I don't know, it's not a good name, but they'll say like Adonai or Hashem. Hashem means the name and Adonai means my Lord. Okay. Yes, Christians, all Jewish people make fun of you when you sing the song about Jewish sex to celebrate your holidays and commemorate your lost. All of us. Well, we, t- we, t- we make fun of you for, for lots of things, but, <laughs> but that's, that's among them, yes. These tweets are just great. I will say she's wrong about one thing. This is a woman's tweeting, right? The second tweet was from Ilana Hu. Okay, so we also, we Jews also make fun of you, you Gentiles because most of your Christmas songs were written by Jews. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's, it, it, is, it is a very, like, my big fat Greek wedding thing where, you know, in my big fat Greek wedding where they, like, they all sit around a table and talk about, like, all the famous Greek people. Yes. And, like, all the famous Greek inventions. That's basically what Jews do all the time. <laughs> you know, this person's Jewish. You know, this person's Jewish. So, like, the, so Hanukkah, the Hanukkah song. song. Right, the Hanukkah song where Adam Sandler like names all the all the Jews that he knows. That's like a a very Jewish thing to do, and b literally the height of Jewish comedy. There's nothing funnier than hey, did you know that Bruce Springsteen isn't Jewish, but his name sounds Jewish? But I heard his agent is. Yeah, that's you can't say that. That's a joke you cannot make. <laughs> what? That's our joke. So this is from PJ. Hallelujah is puzzlingly pervasive on Christmas records. An Easter version by Canadian Why? artist Kelly Mooney detailing no. the crucifixion of Jesus. Stop. Quote, a crown of thorns placed on his head. He knew that he would soon be dead. And from, <laughs> and from his lips, he drew the hallelujah. So this is the problem with, I mean, like this all goes back to the thing we were talking about, about like new standards, right? You can't control for, if you're going to write a folk song, if you're going to write a, a new American standard for the new American songbook, you cannot control stupid people misinterpreting your song and then like bastardizing it and making it about the opposite of what it was originally supposed to be. You just can't stop that. Right. So Robert Corey, Cohen's final manager, and I say final manager because he had this like years long legal battle with this other manager that was crazy and oh, stealing sure. from him. Um, Eugene Landy. Was what? No, Eugene Landy is Brian Wilson's shrink. Oh, perfect. Um, so Robert Corey said, the problem is that when you bastardize the lyric to a system, you become part of the Pharisees. You give up the experience mm-hmm. for a belief. Okay, so like, sure, man, I guess. But like using the term Pharisees, now we're just like, we're like also, compa- now we're comparing like Cohen to the word of Jesus. Right. Like just stop Everybody it. Just, just like stop, stop talking. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to conclude this section of the story with Cohen himself who said, Hallelujah is a Hebrew word, which means glory to the Lord. The song explains that many kinds of hallelujahs do exist. I say all the perfect and broken hallelujahs have an equal value. Have we said this before? I think we said this last week, but it bears repeating. Okay. Like, like the word of Cohen, who, who his manager says is Jesus, apparently, is like, guys, shut the fuck up. Right. And the last sentence in this quote is, it's a desire to affirm my faith in life, not in some formal religious way, but with enthusiasm, with emotion. Okay, so now the moment you've been waiting for, the lost verses. The lost verses of Hollywood. So we said that there are 80 verses. So we, the humans, the humans of, of Earth, 
have only heard less than 10% of the true hallelujah, which like also feels a little religious of like, we only know we, we've never seen God. We've only seen God's reflection or, you know, whatever the, oh my God. whatever. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Sure. We don't know hallelujah. We only know a fraction of hallelujah. Right. It's like, we don't, we can't see all the colors and you can see even less. I can see even fewer colors. Yes. We only use 10% of our brains and that's because we've only heard 10% of hallelujah. (laughs) So Cohen said in a 92 interview that the song took more than a couple of years to write. And over the decades in different accounts, he's said that it took at least four or five years. Fuck. He said, I filled two notebooks and I remember being at the Royalton Hotel in New York on the carpet in my underwear, banging my head on the floor and saying, I can't finish this song. She tied you to a kitchen chair on the floor <laughs> in underwear, scribbling down in your notebook. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In a different interview, he said, I wrote many, many verses. I don't know if it was 80, maybe a little more or less. He said he has to finish and polish a verse before he can disregard it, which I get. Because mm-hmm. like I'll write paragraphs all the time when I'm writing a story that I know I'm not going to use, but I just have to like get it out. So I yeah, can- you can't cut can't cut it out until it's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Colin had that mentality too. So he, yeah, he wrote eighty some odd verses, and knowing Jesus full well Christ. that he wasn't going to use them. But his his garbage, his his sloppy eighty eighty firsts or whatever, are better than most songwriters' <laughs> like best work. Right, you know? and we'll visit some of those. Soon. Oh no. <laughs> um, so this is from the Daily Review, the Australian Daily Review. Hallelujah clearly invites interpretations, and these ones merely scratch the surface. So do you are you aware of some of these lost verses? No. The lost verses were only announced after Cohen's death on Fuck. Cohen's estate's Facebook page, in which hundreds of pages of Cohen's notebooks were getting donated to the University of Toronto Library. And in the Facebook message or like the post, it was like, this is exciting. These are getting donated. And yes, they include the 80 verses of Hallelujah. Oh my God. So I reached out to the University of Toronto because I wanted to know if there was uh, a way that I could go see them or if they had been digitized. You know, on the message boards, it clearly said they're not digitized. You have to go see them in person. And But being that this was years ago uh, and COVID, I messaged them and I asked if anything, if they've been digitized. The Rare Finds Library, which is part of the University of Toronto Library, which is where the Cohen papers are held, they are closed still because of COVID. And so... The librarians have no access to any of the archives. And so it sounds like we're going to be doing a part three <laughs> as soon as, soon as this library opens back up. Literally. I was like going to hold this episode until I could go because I thought, yes. fuck it. I'll just go con- like next week. I convinced you not to do that. Yes. No, it wasn't you that convinced me. It was them saying, it's closed. You can't come. <laughs> I, I was trying to convince you not to do that. This is my personal mission. I need to read all 80 verses and I can't do that until the library opens back up. I did find some alleged verses on message boards, but I couldn't corroborate those as being legitimate. And there were even some like links to videos of like children singing. And it was like, here's some of the lost verses. And 
uh it's so easy it would be so easy to fabricate oh, yeah. right it's so easy to just like make up like that easter lady one right and the, this one so it was it was a children's choir and um the children had had developmental problems and the main singer was previously nonverbal. And then she's verbal now, and so she was singing a version of Hallelujah. Uh, and this was on one of the message boards as like, here, here are some of the verses. They were all heavily Christian, and you can just tell that it, it was it yeah, was that not going at not all. Real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love fucking and also Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There's also like an interesting kind of thing that sometimes happens with devout religion like any devout religion where they feel like you know the song belongs to god and so god has given you these lost verses but it's actually them just like making it up right Right. like it's not cohen's lost verses it's god's lost verses (laughs) of hallelujah cool thanks god there are artists that will say you know we heard that with um africa where he was like this was divine it was god speaking yeah, through yeah. me and 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 there and there is i i think that there is something to that but that would be so like the guy from africa says this was divine it was god speaking to me but like then if i write new verses of africa because god is also speaking to me that doesn't mean it was written by the same person right right but That's god god is everyone yeah, god god's everyone (laughs) even in my hair (laughs) so one pop culture thing for hallelujah that is like absolutely seared into my brain is that cohen died right around the time that trump won the election well kind of not really won the election in 2016 and so kate mckinnon dressed up like hillary clinton and played and sang hallelujah on snl and it makes me want to fucking die yeah cohen died the monday before (laughs) the monday before this snl aired and like and like so there's a so that so uh, there's a couple of things that i hate about this one of them is like the the very performative sadness right yeah oh my god i'm so sad that i'm going to put makeup and a wig on and there's going to be lights and 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 all production design and i'm gonna do this thing very publicly to express my sadness to be fair she'd been putting on wig and makeup the entire election season oh yeah yeah yeah. i'm saying like so like i had a co-worker right after trump was elected with an asterisk that like dressed in all black and wore like black eyeliner right and i'm like that's not that like if you were truly that sad about it you just wouldn't bathe sure right like like it's like it's, it's too like performative in a, yeah it's very it's putting in too much effort to make sure everyone knows that you're sad and so the, it feels a little like that especially from a show that platformed trump while he was running right he hosted the show while he was running and you know everyone was like hey he's like a nazi don't do that and they're like whatever and now like they in 2016 decided that they were on the right side of history and what a great loss this is for our country well they thought he was a punchline they didn't not that i'm defending them but i am putting this also into context they thought that trump was the butt of every single joke they did not think that he was going to win which is that was everybody's standpoint right it's all it's like all of it together makes me feel uncomfortable i like i like when it happened i was like this is fucking weird okay so are we gonna watch this or not 
am glad that she's actually playing though. That's nice. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it played. Yeah, so the I hate this so much. But you don't really I gotta say I hated it way more now. Like when it happened, I was just like a mess anyway. And yeah, I just yeah. remember like crying and being like, What is happening in the world? But I wasn't like but mad think, at this. Yeah, but I think that that's like that's the thing that I hated about it is like they know exactly what they're doing at this point to capitalize on your grief. Sure. It's not like a horrible version. Mm. Just contextually, it's like makes her her dressed up like Hillary Clinton doing this is like so so. It didn't need to be Hillary. (laughs) It did when she obviously she was Hillary throughout the season, but like if it was just her as her doing it, I would feel better, very different. Yeah, right. Because it's like her her stripping off the artifice for once. Yeah. And she's good. She's like, I can see that she's actually, she feels the emotion that, or she's like convincingly portraying the emotion that she's supposed to be feeling. But like her dressed up like Hillary from the debates is, is fucked up to me. I just can't. I did like it, it, it makes my skin crawl. This is the part. I did my best. It wasn't much. I couldn't feel. So I tried to touch. I told the truth. I didn't come to fool you And even though it all went wrong I'll stand before the Lord of song With nothing on my tongue but hallelujah Yeah, I have so many mixed emotions about this Because like my my nervous system is doing the thing that happens during the song Where I like really like this moment in the song But like is she singing this as Hillary Clinton where she like didn't come to fool you she trolled, told the truth and yeah. it all went wrong but she'll be judged on judgment day yes. positively like what the fuck it's does this mean very on the nose and so I gotta say when I first saw this because I didn't know these Cohen lyrics from because they're from not the Jeff Buckley cover I'm not I thought that they embellished that 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 was their verse oh yeah 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 so I and took then she it, ends it with "I'm not giving up," and neither, neither should, should you. you. So Ugh. I literally took those lines as like literal, like Hillary Clinton saying, "Like I didn't lie, I didn't come here to fool you, and right. it all went wrong." But fuck it, here we are. And so I mean, even though she didn't, even though the SNL writers didn't write that, that's still what it is meaning in this moment. Right, I think so too. But just watching it now, I was like, oh, my God, I thought they made that up. But that's like literally Lennon, Leonard Cohen's verse mm-hmm. that just yeah. I didn't know at the time because I was ignorant. Also, like Hillary was Hillary Clinton was like complicit in propping Trump up because she thought he would be the easiest to beat because that's like what every political. Yeah. R- someone who runs does with their opponent like it's not unique, but like, I don't know. The de- her deification in certain circles is also makes me like really uncomfortable. Yeah, but that's there's so much there's wrong so with much, the Clintons so as well. <laughs> yeah, so much well, wrong with the American Vince Foster, right? Uh, that's not actually true. There, that is a conspiracy theory. Of, that is not true. Wait, you mean she doesn't eat dead babies? 
She does do that. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, she does okay, eat that yeah. baby. Just like her favorite mm-hmm. pizza topping. Yeah, hot sauce. That's what she keeps in her purse. Hot yeah. sauce, dead and babies. babies. Okay, perfect. Glad we're on the same page. Uh, I truly didn't know where to put this next one, but this seemed <laughs> like a good spot. Um, this is the Hurricane Sandy benefit where Adam okay. Sandler came up with mm-hmm. some of his own verses. Great. Leave it to Weird Al, buddy. <laughs> Please, for the love of God. The terror of the hurricane. This is so the unforgiven wind and rain. New York, the world held its breath as the storm took it to you. Wow. This is real but divorce dad energy. Down in the past. <laughs> is it his outfit? His last. outfit hit like the fact that he's like looks like four beers down, <laughs> just like making making up versions. He's sweating. Yeah, making up verses to a famous song. Sandy, Sandy Screw, screw yeah. Great. Good job. Cohen was alive at this time. This is what you're talking when he's like, just stop it. Stop it. Yeah. When he says we're New Yorkers, like, I died. I hate it so much. Yeah, I mean, also, like, his brand of comedy, I, I know that I just got done saying, like, Jews love the Hanukkah song, but his, like, brand of musical comedy has aged like milk it like really <laughs> yeah. like it like we all loved it in in the 90s and now it's like 20 years later and we're like what do you do what are you still doing here adam i mean oh. i listen to the goat song like all the time great i also like all of these concerts that raise money i like they're all kind of cringy to me yeah the um, Justin Timberlake version was for the, the Haiti Relief concert. And is it just normal? He took... He's not like... He didn't make Haiti, any lyrics Haiti. up. He like didn't play the sexual ones or something. He definitely tweaked it to be what he thought was appropriate for the occasion. But he wasn't... Yeah, he wasn't like... The earth was shaken and you all yeah, fell right. through. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so on this misuse and misinterpretation, Bon Jovi, we're on this New York, New Jersey kick. Okay. So I'm keeping it there with the Jersey. So Bon Jovi said that he instantly keyed into the intention of the lyrics, which he said, I got the meaning of hallelujah right away. I got the irony. I got the sexuality. I won't name the artists who have no clue what's inside those words, but I've often said, (laughs) but it's all of them. Right, but I've often said that people in America know the chorus to that song. People in the rest of the world know the verses. All right, Mister Mister Jovi, he's so cultured. He's so cultured. This is fucking oh, Bon Jovi. So I'm. By, by the way, I'm still watching. He's living the on a prayer. Sandler thing. You are. Yeah, and there's like there's like stuff about Anthony Weiner, and they show his like di- the dick pic that he tweeted. No way. I turned it off. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. It ain't. It ain't good. No, this is not good. Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Cultured Bon Jovi. You're not actually from Italy, Mr. Bon Jovi. <laughs> He's from Little Italy. <laughs> the littlest Italy. <laughs> Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, okay, there was this story about this guy naming his kid Hallelujah, which I'm going to skip because we don't fucking have the time for that. No. Wait, wait, give me the give me the two sentence version. This guy named his daughter his Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? 
because she became the embodiment of this idea, this little tiny hope that I had. So okay. in a way, my daughter- and he got her by fucking. Yeah. It was a really heinous story, and I just was going to read it to you so you could be like, Ugh! but we don't need that. The last interpolation that I could not skip, though, could not skip this one. No. Michael Barthel brought it up in his piece. Lindsay, no. Because my little emo scenester inside of me. Huh. <laughs> I'm so. Is no. so excited. It's Fall Out Boy. No! <laughs> uh, this is my favorite song off their 2007 album, Infinity on High. You've probably heard it, like in my car. Okay. So here we go. So this doesn't sound like any. This there's I see I hear no Hallelujah DNA. Oh, oh, there's a part? Yeah, there's an interpolation part. You know how interpolation parts work. Yeah, but why do, why do I have to listen to all of it first? Because otherwise, how are you going to understand the song as a whole? So, so this is the thing that bands in the early and mid 2000s did a lot. So, like Jimmy Eat World did "Our House in the Middle of Our Street," and Bright Eyes, we had mentioned before, did "You Are My Sunshine." And and so this is now, which uh, "You Are My Sunshine," we also got a request to a do request. as a yeah, yeah, a listener request to do, which we'll definitely do in the future because it's a really good request. Um, yeah, this is this seems like part of that kind of ilk or whatever. Yeah. But like 
this also then must allow that there are people on in this world who only know Hallelujah from the bridge of this song. Sure. Which I don't, I don't, I don't love that. <laughs> I think it's great. I think, um, you know, I'm surprised that you're having this reaction when you did a whole episode on interpolations and like good artists steal. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So it's it, an interpolation can still be bad. I don't necessarily love every interpolation that's ever existed. Yeah, I know. But this one's not bad. Barthel said that Fall Out Boy's reappropriation is undoubtedly the most radical, interesting, and adventurous. It reminds mm. us that if you disagree with the journey a song has taken, the original and all its revisions are always there, waiting to be born again. Yeah, I mean, listen, this doesn't negate how good all the other versions are or that you that that, that the band is within their rights to do this or or that interpolations can provide interesting new context for art i just don't think that this is good agree to disagree yeah it's fine there are good ways to do that i just don't think that they did it (laughs) (laughs) okay well (laughs) um we're gonna go out uh with another pop punk favorite of mine paramore today and as we do that i'm gonna finish off seal this bad boy with another quote from alan light have we had too much light in this? No. Okay. Illuminate us. This is a, I think this is a great quote and a good way to just wrap it all up with a bow. Should we play the Paramore song then? Yeah. Paramore slaps. Thank you. As Hallelujah proved itself to be just as powerful expressing triumph as it was expressing loss or desire or perseverance, history has seen this ambiguity turned into the song's great strength. Those who want or need it to serve as a hymn, a balm, can find that sense of soaring grace, and those who respond to its sense of struggle and confusion can present that as the song's backbone. There is no right way to sing Hallelujah. Hell yeah. Except for Fall Out Boy. That's the wrong one. Fuck off. Um, no, I think he's right, and I think that it has certainly actually taken its place as an American standard, and we're seeing it in this context, right? That every band and their and their brother has to do some kind of riff on Hallelujah, and that's just what a folk song is. Right. You're nobody until you've done Hallelujah. Right, exactly. So that's it for this week. If you have your own cover of Hallelujah, you can email it to us at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Please, please do. If you have any new verses that you're aware of, definitely send that to us too. If you work at the Toronto Library, call me. (laughs) What's your number? Uh, we're on social media at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. Please reach out to us and let us know what you like about the show or what you hate about the show. Oh, it just goes into a different song. Well, this is Paramore's song called Hallelujah, unrelated to the other oh, Hallelujah. See, that's fun. I like that. Yeah. Um, better. better. Th- I, think, I think that they're doing basically what Fall Out Boy did, but just slightly better because they're a better band. Um, I think more than slightly better, but whatever. And until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, Holly fucking Luya, this is over. <laughs> until part three. No, we're done. No, we're not done. We're going to Toronto. Let's make it.